Welcome to Our Thread, the podcast, bringing our content to you. I'm all it is, and I'm here with my hearties. Beware, Cap, Doc, and Savage. Today, we bring you episode 11, Pulp Fiction vs. Jaws. Two great movies that have something substantial hidden and lurking beneath, whether it be in a briefcase or the depths of the ocean. Our Thread member, Beware, used his mulligan to replace Birdman with a sweeping vote where all our members agreed that Birdman is good and maybe even great but not one of the 64 greatest movies of all time. Then we had the pleasure of viewing the Mulligan movie replacement Jaws together at Chateau Sauvage, Savage's backyard movie theater. And I got to say, watching a movie with your friends makes a great movie even greater. But before we get into the matchup, let me give a special shout out to tonight's sponsor. Prism is an iPhone and Android compatible app that allows you to keep track and manage all of your bills and allows you to pay everything with a single swipe. I've been using Prism for a couple years now, and I don't miss any bills. And I used to miss a few folks because I forgot to send in that check. So before you forget your next bill, check out Prism today. Folks, it's bracket breakdown time, but not before we hear that intro music produced by our thread member, Beware. Go. Good morning. Morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Well, it's very uh, homey. What are you kidding? We got some family here. I hope you realize how you affect my feelings. Just take it easy, man. I'm from the South. Yeah, waving the fucking gun around? Look, I made a mistake, all right? It didn't make any difference anyway. Hey. I'm letting it go. But don't say it doesn't matter. Every line matters. Get off my back! Who the fuck is my plan? And like that, it's gone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Thread Podcast. Bringing our content to you. Featuring all it is. Official old buddy. Who has been. Beware. From then on, he was known as Benny the Jet Rodriguez. The Doc. You're the Doc, Doc. The Cat. If you already know the answer, and myself, Savage. I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of them. Homework's in. Let's begin. We all saw that great white monster together, but somehow here we are with another Quentin Tarantino classic, Pulp Fiction. Doc, how was your uh, viewing of Pulp Fiction? I know we all got to see Jaws together. Oh, man, it was great. Uh, Sweet Amy and I watched it last night. Man, it just, uh, it's one of my favorite movies uh, of all time, personal list. And watching it after having watched all these movies over the past several months and through this new lens, I feel like I just appreciate it on a whole other level that I didn't even know existed. Pulp Fiction, um, I, it's, I'd say it's one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino films, but now it's like in the running for my favorite. And I know that says a lot because we just did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Cap, I would imagine you've seen Pulp Fiction over 20 times. How did you feel going back to watch it under that lens? Yeah, it was great. Always appreciate this movie. Um, love how it tells the story uh, jumping around in time. Um, I will say I, I probably watched the, the beginning scene um, probably more than 100 times when... Um, I was in high school, uh, me and a, a pal of mine, 
a mutual friend of all of ours, recorded this scene. And we're talking about this scene from, you know, with the, when they're in the car at the beginning and they're talking about the Royale with cheese and the metric system into where they um, pay Brad and his uh, pals a visit, uh, a bloody visit. So yeah, I did, I did this uh, shot for shot for my acting class and I played Vincent Vega and it was the first cigarettes I've ever smoked probably. (laughs) And I bought a pack because I didn't know, I didn't know what to buy. I had a a Zippo and I had a pack of Marlboro menthol lights. And (laughs) I remember in the, in the outtakes, I had about uh, seven or eight cigarettes in my mouth at once and I was lighting them all. Saying, oh I'm 18. I can smoke as much as I want. Fuck it. Tarantino turned you into a smoker. Mm. Cap the actor. Cap the artist. Uh, you know, hey, you still so, got a, you still got a chance. Pulp Fiction is to cap what um, Scientology is to Travolta. It sounds like. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what the the cool thing, the coolest thing. I, I will mention this. We we took a. One of those uh, hanging uh, lights, uh, garage lights that you use to like work on your car or whatever, and put it inside of a briefcase. So when we opened it up, it lit up my face. It was pretty, pretty choice. Pretty hey, choice uh, a little filming. fact here: that's all that was in the briefcase was uh, two lights uh, rigged to a battery. So you're you're pretty close to doing your. Uh... Uh, no, it was Marcellus Wallace's actual soul. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, let's go to Beware with, uh, I know he's the same scene Pulp Fiction handfuls of times. So uh, Beware, what'd you think? It was actually the first time I'd seen Pulp Fiction ever. Um, blew my mind. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm obviously kidding. I, you know, the way that, that Pulp Fiction has left an imprint on uh, Cap's life with the, uh, the cigarette introduction. Uh, I think it's left an imprint on most people's lives. It's a pop cultural phenomenon. It has been since this movie came out, and I believe like 1994. Uh, I was uh, 10 years old at that point. And I think even then, I remember it came out, and I remember thinking like, this is an important movie. I wasn't allowed to see it, and I, it, it was something that I wanted to check out just because it had so much cachet, adult cachet. I remember um, Doc's dad had the soundtrack and uh, thinking like, whoa, what is this? This is an X-rated soundtrack, and then it's not that at all. You know, it's just, uh, it's got some righteous tunes on it, obviously, and that are very, uh, uh, you know, stand out in their own right but uh ultimately you know it's just it's a movie that every beat hits you know every every five minutes you're you're seeing something that you know you can recall back to another point uh you know where you've seen that movie or just you know how it influences another aspect of your life or just it's it's filled with nothing but great moments like that and i think to the counter it's it's jaws you know jaws is 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 one long moment it feels like so i think it's they're quite different movies when you uh when you try to compare them and i was really trying to find the the comparison points and all it is made the good one you do have the uh the kind of big figure lurking um throughout the movie but uh but beyond that they're quite different movies and i'll i'll, I'll be interested to see kind of how we break them down and 
and compare and contrast them along the way. How about this? Pulp, a soft, moist, shapeless mass of matter. Two, a magazine or book containing lurid subject matter being characterized or printed on rough dung finished paper. What a weird way to start a movie, but this is kind of a movie of mystery and maybe of definition and, and kind of uh, of you know making up your own explanations for some things. But uh, I, I think we touched on a bunch of stuff for Pulp Fiction, but let's get to that great white shark in the ocean. Um, Jaws, like I said, watching a movie with your friends makes it even greater. Maybe that's another type of lens, you know, being around people, especially that you know appreciate movies. I watched about a half an hour of it right when I knew it was homework, just because I wanted to, I hadn't seen it. I wanted to refresh my, I haven't seen it in a long, long time. I wanted to refresh my memory. And I got to even say, just watching that half hour over again at uh, Chateau Sauvage, it was, it, it hit harder and it was good. And I do think like there's a ton of extra stuff going on in Jaws, which is kind of, you know, a lot of extra actors, maybe some smaller roles. But when you get to the core characters, you really get it set in to place and you see that this movie is very substantial and uh, deserves its roses. Doc, um, I think you were the one that said you hadn't seen it before. Maybe I'm, no, I think I'm wrong about that. Somebody else hadn't seen it before. I think it, Doc. Sweet Amy. Oh, Sweet Amy hadn't seen it before. God bless her. Which after this movie, we're actually not calling her sweet Aunt Amy anymore because she lost her innocence after having watched Jaws. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So it was fun, again, to watch with the crew. Um, my wife, Amy, had not seen it before. I think there were a couple other folks on the thread that hadn't seen it in a long time. And then I think a couple other um, significant others in attendance maybe hadn't seen it in a while. So it was fun to watch uh, uh, outdoors, perfect weather. That being said, typically when I watch these movies, I uh, sit down, I've got my notepad or I've got my notes app out on my phone. Um, this time I kind of just went and just enjoyed the movie with some guds. Um, and so uh, yesterday afternoon, I had didn't really have any notes for Jaws, so I actually did a little bit of extra credit, I guess. I put on a documentary um, on Jaws or the making of and was uh, just so enthralled with basically how this movie um, even survived the production process. It basically was up against so much um, adversity and faced so much adversity. Let me just share a little bit with you guys. So this movie was, one, this was uh, Steven Spielberg's second feature film. He was 27 years old uh, directing at the time, had very little experience prior to this, um, and actually only got the part because the first person, the first director that they hired to film this movie went in and started talking about the movie and his first, his imagination for the first shot and kept calling the shark a whale. And there, and the, the people that own the store, the producers were like, we're not going to have this guy. It can't even tell a difference between a whale and a shark. And so they went and offered it to Steven Spielberg and brought him in. But this movie was initially budgeted for 3.5 million um, and was slated or scheduled to shoot in 55 days. It ended up doubling the budget, more than doubling the budget, going to 9 million and tripling the shooting, um, going from 55 days to 160 days about. Um, and so along the way, here are some of the issues that they encountered. Um, one is that uh, shooting at sea was, they were insane to do it. And uh, because you have to think like if they're out on the sea, which more than half the film is shot out on the Atlantic Ocean, this was filmed in Martha's Vineyard. Um, basically the, the stability or the instability of the waves, the wind, the, the lighting is all impossible to predict and impossible to stage. And so they really were uh, thrown with the, in the weather. Um, they, a lot of this was shot with handheld cameras because they tried to 
you know, do it other ways, but had to get creative. Um, also, if they got set up to do something, they forgot a part, they had to send somebody back on a boat to go get it from the, the, the land and bring it back. And so just all sorts of delays and issues with that. Also, they, they, there's a, a drama with cast members. So a, a, some kind of, it, we'll talk, get to a little bit later. Um, and one of the primary things is that they had really, they had technical issues with the shark. Um, so this shark was supposed to play a much more predominant role in this movie. Um, the shark was designed in, and tested in water before bringing it up to um, the Northeast for the film. However, it was tested out in fresh water, not salt water. So when they got these, this shark, this mechanical shark out into the ocean, the salt water just started eating away at everything. And basically this shark was malfunctioning. And the, the documentary that I saw Spielberg was saying like literally you could tell he was traumatized by this whole experience says he still has nightmares to this day about filming this movie and because um each day for the first month like production had to stop because the shark was malfunctioning and so um and as a result of that they had to basically do rewrites on the movie every single day or the night before shooting him and his uh, co-writer and basically had to redo the movie in a completely different way so they had to rely on two primary things to, uh, when shooting the shark. One is that they had, to, they had to come up with shooting the shark in such a way such that they didn't have to rely on the actual shark, which arguably maybe made it a better movie. Um, the other thing that they had to, which, and so Spielberg talks a lot about how he a lot like uh, relied on kind of Alfred Hitchcock as a influence on that. And then also is the score. They had to rely on the score of the shark to kind of be that character. Um, and so uh, uh, I know Savage is kind of our man or soundtracks movies. I wonder if he has any uh, 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 facts about um, the score for this movie. Basically the, the movie for the, the, the Jaws score relies on two notes, um, E and F. So it's kind of a um, atypical scoring because that's the whole motif for the, for the, for the film all the way through um, basically boils down to these two notes. Um, when John Williams first described the motif um, to Jaws to, to Spielberg, he was playing it for him on the piano, um, and Spielberg thought he was joking and was like, "Come on, what, what do you really?" He was expecting something a lot more melodic, um, something that's a little more tense. He was thinking more along the lines of the stabbing scene at Bates Motel um, in Psycho as like kind of that like high pitch, something to kind of along those lines to kind of create that suspense. Um, Due to a lot of the technical issues that that uh, the shark was was facing in the movie, Spielberg was relying heavily on the score to kind of save the movie, um, which I which which he does attribute to um, actually saving the movie because Spielberg in numerous interviews since the movie was released um, initially, uh, he he speaks to how how much John Williams had such an impact on the film itself and how successful it was. And also a little fun fact too is uh, George Lucas was the one that kind of that, that, that said, Hey, try this guy, Spielberg. You're going to, you're going to really love this guy. Um, his name's John Williams. He's done a few of my movies before. So um, that ended up being a kind of a match made in heaven for those two. You know, back to what Doc was just saying really quick. It didn't look sloppy, folks. I didn't see a, a change in definition or um, it really did look good. And the fact that you don't see the shark so much, I think, makes it that much more suspenseful. Yeah, this movie uh, was uh, one that I, I don't think I have ever seen all the way through um, what I remember from it. Um, and possibly something that sort of scared me away from it when I was a kid is seeing that uh, leg um, sink to the bottom of the ocean floor. <laughs> the guy, the guy that's in the boat. I think 
gets attacked um, when he's with the kids and he's he says, uh, what does he say to those kids? Up, if we could maybe get a sound bite in there. Hey, you guys need help? There. I'm doing it! Hey, fellas! Fellas! All in the sheet! Make it fast! Hey, you guys! You guys okay over there? He gets knocked off his boat and then he gets his leg chopped off, I'm pretty sure. Uh, that, as a little kid's kind of, was just like, all right, you, you guys have fun watching this. Um, so, yeah, this is PG rating. Kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, um, no way. <laughs> um, blew my mind that, you know, this, there, there's, a, there's a man who just gets straight eaten alive in this movie, and they show it, and it's pretty crazy. I... Uh, <clears throat> would like to say that I think that this movie is um, pretty terrifying in a way, um, even though it's, you know, it's a little older and maybe uh, kind of funny at parts. Um, I just think that the everything kind of, everything that went wrong kind of fell in place because it does kind of psychologically mess with you. I think it's a great thing that you don't get to see the shark until like, you know, probably more than halfway through the movie. Um, when you see it, it's gigantic. Yeah, I'm it sure is pretty... it uh, started a lot of phobias because the ocean's mm -hmm. a pretty freaking scary place. And uh, I know it did. And uh, I think we know it. I have to check with Doc that uh, great whites are not the most uh, dangerous shark in the ocean. It would be a mackerel or a ma however you pronounce it. Fact checking with all it is. Actually, bull sharks are known to be the most dangerous shark in the ocean. Not great white sharks, bull sharks. Tiger hey. shark. Oh, what? <laughs> There's our synopsis for these two movies. What I want to talk about now is characters. Um, man, here we are with another Tarantino film, and you have to pick. You can't just pick one of them. Every character is playing such a good part. But um, Vincent and I Julius. I have so much jewelry. I got more jewelry, and it's not even about the jewelry, because, you know. It's jewelry. You know, oh, it is? It's actually Jules, you fucking idiot. It's hard to pick one or the other because they really have that friendship dynamic we talk about so much. It's in every great film. And I love how they are teaching each other. They are learning from each other, um, quoting each other later, and um, their, their relationship is constantly uh, building. And I, it's just one of these things that is like the, what really hits home when you're watching a great movie is uh, you hit them with the friendship, that great friendship that we all have here on our thread. So I'm going to go with Vincent. John Travolta's character is my favorite. Um, I'd say it's his best film ever. He plays the, the out of it kind of, you know, druggy, but cool in a way that like, I think is... Like you couldn't have replaced him. He does that so well. The driving scene where his eyes are so low. And when he walks into Uma Thurman's uh, house, which forgive me, I don't have that up right now. I want to start calling him by uh, Mia. and uh, Or Mrs. Wallace. Mrs. Wallace, indeed. But where, you know, she's directing him through the house to the intercom. And, and then, of course, when he gets taken out halfway through the movie and you're like, oh, damn, there goes one of my characters. But as Cap said in the beginning, um, you have... Uh, at times all over the place they're, they're you know so you get him back and uh, i really like that so that's going to be my character that uh that scene where where vincent is is being summoned by the the pa 
system inside the house. I never knew. I knew that that meme of, of Travolta looking around, trying to, uh, you know, looking for something. I knew that that was from Pulp Fiction. I never knew exactly what scene that was from. Uh, so it was kind of funny to see that and be like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. It's when she's trying to, like, talk to him and he doesn't know where the fuck the, music, the sound's coming from. So I thought that was pretty good. Warmer, warmer, disco. Make yourself a drink and I'll be down in two shakes of a lamb's tail. <laughs> Savage, since you, you, you were going back and forth, why don't you tell me who your uh, favorite character slash character might be? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I uh, I really like a lot of the people in in um, in Jaws. I think Roy Schneider or Schneider or whatever we pronounce it. Schneider. Schneider. <laughs> There's no N in it. Okay, uh, Roy Roy Schneider does does a great job. Um, but I, I still have to give it to um, it's going to be Jules from uh, from Pulp Fiction. Uh, Sam Jackson's the man. Uh, this part was written for him uh, up until that point. Samuel Jackson wasn't in like you know he was a bit player in some of these like New Jack movies that were coming out in the early nineties, uh, late eighties. So he didn't really have those like big parts. So this is definitely the the largest part he had had up until that point. I can't remember if um, Jurassic Park came out. I know it came out in ninety four, but I wasn't sure if that came out before or after Pulp Fiction. Is there any uh, confirmation there? Pretty sure it was afterwards because. Okay. Because if I, looking at the Academy Awards, um, it was not in the year's Academy Awards with Paul. Okay. That's probably when people started realizing that he's kind of like that guy. Um, you'd seen him in a bunch of movies and uh, you see him in like Jurassic Park. But I thought as, as him as Jules is definitely his breakthrough and probably put him like where he is today. Beware. What do you got as a uh, character slash characters? I think that the... It's hard not to go with Vince Vega in the in Pulp Fiction. He's great. I really like just the way he kind of strolls around the movie. He he's just the coolest guy in the room, and I love that. And when when he you know gets phased, it's very obvious. I I just there's there's a lot. Well, there's there's some lines that I want to say by him, but I'll hold it till we uh, till we get to that section. So he'll be he'll be my choice from Pulp Fiction, but ultimately I'm gonna go with Hooper, uh, Richard Dreyfuss from Jaws. I really like him in the movie. I like pretty much all the lead characters in Jaws. I think they're they're all pretty excellent. Roy Schneider is excellent. Uh, Robert Shaw is Quint. He's Quint. excellent as well. But I really do like Richard Dreyfuss as Hooper. I think he adds a a, a level of um, kind of relief to the movie and that he's relatively easygoing and as kind of a friend as a a partner to Roy Schneider's character to this uh to the sheriff's character and he also is the most knowledgeable about the topic and so he brings the credibility and he and he brings a level of um expertise to the movie that you kind of needed at that point and so he he drives uh, a lot of different angles in the movie, and he does so really well. It's it's one of his you know top movies uh, for a top actor, and I think he 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 covers a lot of ground in the movie in terms of uh, what he brings to the table across the board from start to finish. Because you really do feel his impact once he once he joins the cast um, and introduces himself, looking for the sheriff. So interesting fact that I learned about uh, Hooper is that apparently two things. One, in the movie, he was actually supposed to have an affair with uh, 
uh, hmm. Chief Brody's wife. So that was interesting. That would not have played well at all. Not at all. And he was supposed to die in the end when he goes down in that cage. Yeah, that, I could have seen that. The way that they shot that is because they actually used a real shark in that scene, but the, the, the original Jaws was supposed to be 25 feet, feet long. That's what the mechanical sharks were. Typical great white sharks are only about 15, 16 feet. They shot this. They had another crew in Australia, and they had a 16-foot great white shark. And in order to make it look bigger, they actually hired an actor that was uh, like four foot something, a stuntman. And then they made a, I, this is all true, and they made a smaller, um, um, I guess, cage for him to go down in. So when they were shooting, it looks like this shark is much bigger than it is. Well, the, the, and he was supposed to, you know, get eaten within the cage. But what happened was the shark, that cage was so small, the shark actually went nuts in it. And, the, and the, he actually broke the cage open. And the actor inside the cage actually got out and swam down and swam away. Holy and because they um, they were so there were the f- the crew called Spielberg and said we got this awesome footage of this shark attack like we couldn't have been any better and meanwhile Spielberg's thinking like well shit like we don't have any good footage and like we can't let this footage go to waste so they rewrote the part that Hooper gets away and goes wow. off just to use this footage of this shark attacking the cage because of how awesome it was wow that's great. Uh, Doc, what about your favorite character? I, I'll, I'll talk about my favorite character per movie. Uh, so first one is, I, I got to go with Jules in Pulp Fiction, man. One, just his character arc in general is incredible. Um, and just like how he goes from this, uh, you know, this gangster essentially to kind of, you know, essentially wanting to walk the earth, waiting for God to tell him, you know, tell him what to do, you know, and kind of he, he experiences a miracle. And the all of his lines are just so good and just everything about him so that's that's my vote for that for pulp fiction but i'm gonna um i also think in jaws as much as i love brody as much as i love hooper i think you know captain quint man um was the man and um he was an actual shark hunter um on the orca which is named after the great or the killer whale which they are known for killing sharks you know and so he has this vendetta against sharks which we learn through the in my opinion the best scene in jaws which we'll get to when we start talking about scenes but we're beyond where they're on the orca hunting the shark and he kind of tells us a story about the uss indianapolis oh man um yeah but and also like he kind of uh was that role like he was a heavy drinker he in real life he uh i think beware made me aware of this fact um when we at the, when we're at the chateau watching the movie that uh he was like true to life alcoholic and they had issues with him on the set and some of the issues between him and um dreyfus stemmed from that um but uh you know he died shortly after this film at the age of 51 he looks weathered but he you know was 51 when he died um so much so that he so he actually the scene the uss indianapolis scene again we'll talk about it but um i just want to plant the seed here he was actually known for kind of taking shots and drinking throughout the movie between scenes and stuff he actually asked spielberg if he could kind of get drunk to do that scene to shoot the uss indianapolis scene because that was kind of how it was written and actually he got so drunk that he kind of made a fool of himself shooting it the first night um, he woke up and was just embarrassed and called up Spielberg and they shot it the second night 
no drinks in him, but basically blew a whole night of shooting because he was so drunk. Um, and they, Eight whiskey they, sours. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking, of our, uh, speaking of captains, what about our cap over there? Uh, what was your favorite character, buddy? Um, across the board, I would say uh, you're talking about the coolest guy in the room. As far as characters go, beware, said uh, Vincent Vega. I'm going to disagree and say Butch is the coolest guy. Yeah. There we um, are. Bruce. Butch, is, Butch is, is, has been and to this day is still my favorite character uh, from Pulp Fiction. Uh, I love his story. I love from the very beginning um, where we decide – in this movie that the motivate his motivation is to um, get his father's watch back. I do like the relationship that he has with uh, Fabian. Um, I think it's pretty interesting. You kind of see how they kind of have this isolated LA big city relationship where they're just kind of very much in love with each other. And um, he kind of takes care of her. So yeah, I like the scene with the, the two of them, but um Ultimately, it just turns into uh, the strangest fucking day of his life. I, I like the scene, uh, the opening scene with Marcel Swallows, where you see the back of his head and, the, and you get the band-aid. In the Night back, of the fight, uh, you may feel a slight sting. Give, he's giving him this speech about pride. That's pride. Fucking with you. Fuck pride. Pride only hurts. And that's pride fucking with you and he's talking about him having to take a dive and then we um and then we get them meeting again after the a car accident and um you know he jumps him inside this pawn shop and gets on top of him and starts popping him in the face and so he's a big boy that's pride fucking with you and um I love the fact that he makes the choice to go back for this guy that he was just about to, you know, their, their lives changed the moment that um, these, uh, you know, Zed and his, and his pal um, have them captive uh, and they go through the craziest shit ever together. Um, something that neither of them probably will ever talk about with another soul again. Hey Cap, uh, why did he go back for that watch though? As a very important watch, you know. He, he keeps having this uh, relapse dream to, to uh, this, this, this dream that he keeps having about um, Christopher Walken's character coming in into his uh, little apartment, giving him this big speech about uh, his father's gold watch and where it comes from and he hit it in the one place. He knew Soaps wouldn't find it in his ass. <laughs> Five long years. He wore this watch up his ass. He died of dysentery. He gave me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal in my ass two years. After seven years, I've settled <laughs> my family. Little man, I give the watch to you. And then ding, he wakes up. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, awesome, man. Oh, Great impression. I hope you guys would hide something in your ass for me. Always. <laughs> Too the first, the first time you see, the first time you see Butch too. Um, he's uh, Bing Rames. Uh, uh, Marcellus Wallace is talking, and it's like it's frozen on Butch's face on um, on uh, 
on Bruce Willis's face. It looks like, and I'm not a big video game player, but it looks like like a load screen for like GTA or something. It's got this like reddish like wash to it. And you're just looking at like um, Bruce Willis kind of pursing his lips together, kind of how he's kind of known for. Um, and, yeah, he's always had that sort of James Dean, yeah. squinty-eyed, big, li- you know, big lips yeah. thing going. Yeah, he does that great. And he's uh, supposed to be an asshole. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. Been I, many movies documented I, where he's... he's I a, bet not a, with Quentin Tarantino, though, because greatness, hey, if he thinks he's the greatest, that's fine. I disagree, just because Quentin Tarantino is a 27-year-old director, and Bruce Willis has been in all the Die Hard movies and is, was probably just a fucking... I would imagine... He was probably a prick to him. He's been a prick to just about everyone he's worked with. But. Doc, do you have any uh, facts according to how people got along on Pulp Fiction? If not, why don't you just throw a, a fact at us, Doc? Yeah, so I can speak to that a little bit. So um, Bruce Willis actually wanted to be in this movie really bad. And he actually auditioned for Vincent Vega, didn't get the part. So then um, uh, Tarantino made, didn't make the role for him as um, Butch. That but he rewrote the role for him so that he could play Butch. Originally it was instead of a, uh, a boxer on the decline, it was a boxer up and coming boxer. And actually Matt Dillon was going to be casted to play that, but he kind of rewrote the character so that Bruce Willis could be in it, which I kind of like. I like, I like that idea and that Dillon, but I think you got, you, you take it a step up with Bruce Willis playing that character. And he, it's like perfect that he's like this, sort of boxer on his way out the last of his career and it's um i, I think that that's pretty cool I, d- I never really knew that you know he was supposed to be yeah. an asshole but like yeah. i like that uh one of the speaking of asshole i love actually that scene that savage was talking about right when he leaves there and goes to the bar and kind of c- confronts vincent vega and they kind of have that little exchange I love. Yeah, it's kind of like a foreshadow, sort of. Yeah. Punchy. Yeah, go play punchy. And he calls him Palooka. And I didn't. Ah, that's. I didn't know what that meant. I looked that up, and it's perfect. It's so Palooka has two definitions. One is a stupid, clumsy, or uncouth person, and or an inferior or average prize fighter. Last thing is that. you know when um, Vincent Vega is talking about motherfucker keyed my car. That so Tarantino says that that was actually Butch went out into the parking lot and keyed Vincent Vega's car, or that he wow. was supposed to keyed his car. Good catch! I did not see that. Almost hey, be worth catching him do it. Always worth values. him doing it just to catch him do it. So we're talking about scenes. So let's talk about scenes. If I had to pick a favorite scene from the movie, it's got to be Pulp Fiction, and I have to say, I think. This is the best, and this is, you know, I kind of, it's hard to think about 11 uh, times two, 22 films oh, we've yes. watched Hang so on. far. Just checking your math on that. Yes. I got the same thing. That's a lot of movies, but I think this is my favorite intro to a movie period. The restaurant, diner, robbery, the dialogue. Um, my man is, it's Tim Roth, goes by Pumpkin, which is kind of funny. They have him as his name and he calls that to his girl which I don't have her name in front of me, but Honey, Bunny. Honey Bunny. Okay. Pumpkin Honey Bunny there. It's fantastic. It's um language that we're not like necessarily familiar with, even though we know bad guys, it's kind of like anti-hero in a way, like you almost root for them in a second. And I'm glad it's foreshadowing to what, how the movie ends. So you can't talk about the beginning without talking about the ending. And that clearly could be somebody's best scene, but not going to steal thunder. I'm going to talk about the intro. 
and I pretty much did. The dialogue in there is perfect. They're actually like, I don't know, making good points about robberies, I suppose. And it's just like you're you're about to get sucked into something that I'm starting to see from uh, talking to all the discussants here that maybe even Quentin Tarantino broke some rules with, kind of like Jaws. Maybe he was just, okay, there's the Bruce Willis thing. I'll rewrite it a little bit. He broke the rules of film a little bit, yet following them so strategically because he is such a, a you know a film master and appreciates the art form so much. But got to be the intro. Who wants to talk about their favorite scene? I'll piggyback off what you were saying. I uh, to go along with the, the intro. I, I just want to touch on the music just from from uh, Pulp Fiction because that's a huge part of that movie, um, specifically the intro song, uh, which is called Miserloo. It's by um, it's by Dick Dale, who's like kind of a notable um, surf rock, rockabilly kind of, more, more surf rock uh, artist. He's a real, real um, uh, distinct guitar playing style. Um, it's such a great way to start a movie with between Pumpkin and Honey Bunny having the, um, you know, their exchange, you know, how much they love each other right before they announce that, um, that they're going to, you know, uh, everybody with your hands up. And if you fucking pricks move, I'll execute every last motherfucking one of you. And then it kicks into the song, which you're going to do right now. All it is is the best editor um, in chief on our thread. It, it's so um, it, it's so awesome how um, they they cut to that song. You know, Miramax presents. It goes the whole thing. Um, also, like like what we were talking about with Jaws, with the music, like the, the Jaws theme really sums up the movie really well. Uh, that song specifically sums up um, Pulp Fiction extraordinarily well. Um, it, 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 it is the, the, the thing you remember most musically from that, from that movie. Um, yeah, you hear that song, you think Pulp Fiction. Yeah, anybody, anybody hears that song, they hear and it's, that. And it's mostly because of the trailer too. I think because the, I remember the trailer um, having that scene, and then they're playing that music um, in the trailer when Uma Thurman and um, John Travolta are doing the dance off. Even though it's it's they're not actually dancing that song, but like if you remember, like pretty iconic scene too. Exactly right. Yep. So it's, it's one of those things. So. Um, Having Dick, having the the Dick Dale classic, um, is just uh, it kind of kicks the movie off so well. Um, as far as uh, for me, um, we're talking about favorite scenes. It's going to be from Pulp Fiction as well. Um, it's going to be the scene where they go pay Brad a visit. I know it's probably other people on the on the on the R thread, but um, it, it's one of those scenes. There's so many quotables. Um, the Bible Check verse. out the big brain on bread. Yeah, yeah. The, that's a t- that's a tasty burger. Um, and, Man, if I had some of your beverage, tasty beverage to right. wash this down. <laughs> it's so good that um, just the way they do it. Um, Brad saying what? Say what again? Um, you know, does he look like a bitch? Um, uh, uh, there's so many good lines. English motherfucker, yeah, do you do speak, speak it? it. <laughs> there's so many good lines from that scene. Uh, the scene is so tense. Obviously, it's kind of cool because that scene is actually present twice in the movie. There's the part at the at, towards the end when Homeboy jumps out of the closet or out of the bathroom, and um, and and that's where where uh, where, where um, uh, Jules has his epiphany when the guy comes out with that big stick and starts shooting at him and uh, misses every last bullet. 
So it's got to be. What happened uh, here was a miracle, and I want <laughs> you to fucking acknowledge it. it, it it's uh, it's the best scene. Brad getting his, you know, he gets blown away. We got to talk about a Bible quote too, because that Ezekiel thing. I know Doc might have had it, but that's actually not quote for quote from the Bible. But Quentin Tarantino took that from another movie. And um, that's pretty freaking impressive, but also too, that it gave him an excuse to kill people. And at the end, it was his redemption. It gave him the excuse not to kill somebody. And, and I will strike man. down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. So what do you guys think was in the briefcase? Okay, I'm glad we're talking about this. I wanna, I wanna I got do some, something I got real some quick. I'm only gonna do one thing, because it's more conspiracy, if you will. Uh, Marcellus Wallace has a Band-Aid on the back of his neck. This could be because his soul was removed from his body. And he sold his soul to the devil. And he is on a quest to get his soul back. That being said, when you look into the briefcase, do you see your own soul? Or do you see the soul of Marcellus Wallace, a cold-blooded killer, you know, I don't think so. I think you see what you want to see. You hear what you want to hear. And that's all I got to say, because I don't want, I want everybody to talk about what is in the briefcase. Who wants to talk about it? It's an Oscar, isn't it? Isn't like, I always thought that um, was supposed to be like kind of um, Tarantino's like thirst for going into filmmaking, earning that Oscar. And I, I always, and I always kind of interpreted that way too, just because of the goldish hue. But um, I like the, I like the open for interpretation. I'll, I'll always be a fan of a movie that has that kind of element to it where it doesn't necessarily matter um, what's in the briefcase. The fact that it's valuable to all these key players in the movie. Yeah. So, um, so interesting. And when I was kind of doing the research uh, Savage, I had not read that or seen that, but I do really like that interpretation of it being an Oscar. Um, all it is talking about the soul and um, about like folklore is that you get the soul when the de when you sell your soul to the devil, he takes it through the back of your head, um, and then also the 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 coincidence or not really of the combination of the briefcase being six six six, you know, kind of all you know leads to that. A um, uh, couple other fan theories. Beware, you'll like this first fan theory. Uh, fans for and I don't know the story behind this. Don't know where it comes from, but folks think that it was uh, Amazing Spider Man number one. People have talked about that being in the briefcase for some reason. Another, uh, what it was actually originally written to be, but they threw it away, was the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. That was originally written in the screenplay, that it, that's what it was going to be, but Tarantino didn't like that and just it tossed that out. Um, another fan theory is that it's Elvis's gold suit that Val Kilmer wore in uh, True Romance. Um, yeah. It is supposed to be the Quentin Tarantino universe, like Stephen King. Every, no, everything is, no, this is true, though. Everything is supposed to connect in timelines in one way or the other. And that's why they even say there's theories out there that uh, Rick Dalton is um, playing uh, in Inglorious Bastards. If you look, if you, that, that's a fan theory, too. Which, huh. But Quentin Tarantino has gone on record saying that, yes, my movies are connected. And directors and writers do that. It's interesting. Yeah. I've, never, uh, I've never put that together. Well, I noticed, uh, and yeah. I wouldn't have noticed it unless we watched uh, um, Once Upon a Time, but the cigarettes that they're smoking are those red apple cigarettes uh, and palms. Yeah. A lot of the same. Pack of red apples. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They order um, that. He orders that in um, Pulp Fiction, right? Yep. 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 But kind of closing out the briefcase, Tarantino has gone on record saying it is whatever you want it to be. 
and he's he's not committing to anything and so um but it is fun to talk about it like beware was saying i love that it makes it i mean just like the the great white hiding under the sea that you don't see that much it makes for a good mystery but even more so like like i said he's not breaking rules he's really following them as far as uh filmmaking goes but this movie is so i don't want to say sloppy but it just comes together so well when it's kind of all over the place and yeah maybe it's something you want to view a bunch of times but you don't have to like big lebowski even one of my favorite movies it gets better as you watch it pulp fiction is good from the beginning you just get it gets better and i i think that all of our thread members could say that watching it the first time it had a huge effect we already nailed some quotables throughout the um the the episode a lot of the ones i have written down are there um one thing i do want to do is is uh vincent we got to cue the uma thurman uh ketchup joke do you want to hear my because joke? it's so good come on she's walking back i'd like to hear uma tell it let's hear it Whatever. no you won't laugh because it's not funny but if you still want to hear it i'll tell it i can't wait okay Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind, and Papa tomato gets really angry. Goes back and squishes him. Says, ketchup. Hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, quotables, boys. I just want, I really like, in Pulp Fiction, the scene where Travolta is gossiping. The... Jules, Vincent, and the bartender in Marcellus Wallace's bar are gossiping about like like what potentially happened with the guy. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember exactly. I think that's what they're talking about. Johnny Rockleyhara. He got thrown out of a window by Marcellus yeah, yeah, Wallace. Exactly. And the and and the bartender goes, "Hey, man, my name's Paul, and that shit's between y'all." it's so random um i really like also when um uma thurman decides to elect them for the dance right off here. and she looks them dead in the eyes and goes want to dance no 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 i do believe marcellus my husband your boss told you to take me out and do whatever i wanted now I want to dance. dance. I want to win. I want that, that trophy. trophy. So dance, dance good. good. And right. he's just like, all right, I have no choice at this point. And they obviously go do their thing. And my last line that I have is um, from Pulp Fiction specifically is when they say, uh, when he comes down after uh, Zed takes, takes, takes the shotgun blast to the chest and Bruce Willis asks him if he's all right. And he goes, no, nah, man. Pretty far from okay. I'm pretty fucking far from okay. I think and Zed takes that shotgun to the uh, to the old dick. Yeah, well, yeah. He took it to the, the dick. Uh, he took it to the dick. It was on. It was definitely purposely <laughs> took it to the dick. Yeah, yeah. Savage scene. I got one from so, Jaws, just so we don't leave it out. The kids are crowding in the fence. <laughs> 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 and uh, Cap, I'm gonna pass this one to you. I hope you know it. Uh, it's not a motorcycle, baby. It's a chopper. What's the chopper, baby? Wait, 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 wait. Hey, what, what happened to my Honda? <laughs> I had to crash that Honda, baby. <laughs> Here we go, Doc. You got to have some quotables we didn't get to yet. 
bit. Can I just do like a rattle off a couple quick scenes that we didn't get a chance to mention? Yeah, I like that. I like. I'll that. piggy. Absolutely. I'll piggyback that too. There's okay. a couple of quick things okay. that I want to talk about. Rattle so quotes. I, I know, I know, and I can't argue like with the excitement of talking about Pulp Fiction scenes. Um, I do want to highlight some Jaws scenes that really uh, stood out to me. Um, one is the scene on the beach with Kittner, Alex Kittner. Um, and uh, his mom. And when, you know, the shark attack happened the night before, um, uh, Chief Brody's kind of all anxious and, you know, he tried to shut the beaches down, but, you know, polit politics got in the way, kind of similar, you know, kind of treating the public health crisis, you know, politically kind of similar to kind of what's going on now, but I digress. Um, yeah, that's so, so funny. I thought this, it's, I mean, that's such an obvious thing to, to think about that. It's like, this guy's fucking our president right now yep and uh but that move that that scene got me emotionally because it's so uh i can't imagine being a parent of a kid that doesn't come back off the beach um after seeing an attack like that and how hysterical and how scary that would be um and that you know i just that scene in and of itself got really really moved me um and then also i already you know planted the seed this seed earlier but the um the scene later on and much later on in the movie of the story of the USS Indianapolis, where he's telling the story um, where, you know, maybe even leading up to that, where they're kind of drinking and singing and, you know, uh, comparing scars and war stories and things like that. But then you get this real intense uh, 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 narration of this crazy story that was actually like uh, top secret for years because they literally had delivered the bomb um, to be dropped on Hiroshima and uh and and so being that undercover nobody knew they're on their way back nobody knew that they got sunk and they were out there for a long time and um uh and hearing him talk about it, it's like oh my gosh it's just one of those stories that's like you can't make up you know that it has to be true right when you're hearing it and just the weight of that and you know puts it all together of why this guy is uh, like he is and why he has this vendetta against sharks and um but also just adds a level of weight to um, the, the movie and the character um, of Jaws or uh, what they called him offset, which was Bruce, which uh, Spielberg named him after his lawyer. You know, we're here to talk about all these great movies. Sometimes just naming one scene or even a couple isn't enough. So I appreciate that. I really appreciate th This is a small part of the movie that I think is pretty cool where um, Butch is leaving the pawn shop. He's escaped. He's knocked out the gimp. And he runs up the stairs and he's, he's out of there and he thinks twice about leaving um, Marcellus Wallace down there. And he, he thinks about it and then he almost leaves again. He thinks about it and then he, and then he's like, all right, I'm staying, I'm locking the door and I'm going to, I'm going to choose a weapon. And that weapon choice, um, you know, there's no words, but it says a lot. He just kind of walks around, he grabs a hammer, he grabs a bat. He grabs uh, chainsaw. a chainsaw, <laughs> and then you see it's kind of at the height of that music that's playing. Um, you can hear it. Da, 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 that samurai sword. And um, I also just think that that's like um, sort of a huge nod to just being like a huge part of his, yeah, his, his, his interest and his taste in just, or his interest in Kung Fu and uh, martial arts in general. Um, but he gets the sword and 
coolest part of that scene is when you know he's he's got the white tucked in t-shirt into his jeans and he's walking down the stairs gripping that sword walking real slow with the sword um that is uh awesome to me with the music and in the no dialogue um that is like one of the coolest uh parts of the movie to me so real quick you mentioned the music uh which mm-hmm. is the song being played is called uh comanche by the revels which is kind of like this surfer kind of jazzy kind of yeah weird. Do you guys know what song that Tarantino tried to get for that scene, the rape scene or the gimp scene? Do not know. What is it? My Sharona. Oh, God. Oh, you know, that's a uh, small fact. That's actually Jeffrey Figer's brother. That's the, the lead singer. For, he went to Oak Park oh, High School. That's just no a little way. Yeah, wow. from the knack. Yeah. No kidding. So, uh, one of my, one of my favorite, one of my favorite um, just quote scenes, whatever you want to call it is when uh, Mrs. Wallace uh, mistakably uh, thinks that she's sniffing Coke, but it's, it's not, it's, it's a uh, Choco, um, heroin from um, Lance, the, the drug dealer played by Eric Stoltz. And uh, so he's trying to like, so, so Vincent's trying to figure out like what to do with, Mar- you know, with Mrs. Wallace because she's ODing. And, um, so so he calls Lance and Lance is saying, "Are you calling me on a cellular phone? I don't know you. Who is this? Don't come here. I'm hanging on the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller." <laughs> now that part that part gets me every time. I think it's probably my favorite favorite like, line of the movie. It's just so ridiculous. What, what about Vincent? <laughs> I got to stab her three times. <laughs> you bring it down in a stabbing mush. <laughs> I love when he's going. Get the shot. Get the shot. Get the shot. <laughs> <laughs> the one with all the shit in her face. The one with all the shit in her face. Oh, that that part, no. that part kills me. No, still. that's my wife. And then no. they both have a laugh. They both have a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> so real quick, uh, that that scene when she, he is, you know, bringing the adrenaline down into her, um, they actually shot that in reverse. So he's they shot it with him pulling it out. And wow, so that makes sense. It. Yeah, so it looks like boom, Genius. he's coming down on her heart. That's wow. cool. I like that. Um, that's interesting. The sound effect that they have Ooh. for that, where it's a squishy you got to bring stab. it down yeah. and oh, and um, break the bless breastplate. Oh my god, that's like it's like you know. Oh, ooh. and when she wakes up, she does a great job. Oh, Uma, she she's fucking screaming her fucking head off like she just came back from the dead it's perfect with, with a syringe hanging out of her heart yeah, you're all right. all right and say something something and then our cat goes that was fucking trippy <laughs> hey uh that's an interesting point you know everybody it's an interesting point come on let's get in the care beware uh let's talk about um some scenes that you wanted to make sure didn't get left out of the discussion I actually wanted to throw one from Jaws. I really like this scene in Jaws when they first put the bounty out for the for the shark, and the, all of these people are these random like kooks are out in the water and they're throwing dynamite into the water, and <laughs> everyone knows it's about to be a failed mission and it's about to be this a disaster. So 
and it's just absolutely ridiculous. And uh, when we get them silly bastards down in that rock pile, there'll be some fun. They'll wish their fathers had never met their mothers when they start taking their bottoms out and slamming into them rocks, boy. Get away from there, you goddamn fool, you! What's the matter with you? Want to slap with your crazy son of a bitch? What are you doing? What are these guys going out here? That's just a fantastic scene, and I think it really does kind of set the tone for like what you're about to get into in terms of how everybody's going to try to think it's an easy thing that can be done. You know, anybody can get this shark; it's not a big deal. And and obviously, it's a 20 footer, and uh, they have no clue what they're about to get into. And then the the follow up scene actually with the dock where the guys are at night and they try to get it in the the big chunk of meat and they take. Uh, you know, uh, I was supposed to eat this for dinner or whatever they say. And um, roast. Yeah, my wife's roast, blah, blah, blah. And then they what about have, when oh, Hooper comes in and says, all these guys are going to die. I love yeah. that. Yeah. That's like he's coming into all this madness, and that's how you kind of yeah. eat him. And he's like trying to be cautious and trying to warn them, <laughs> and they kind of just not, they blow him off. And he goes, well, they're all going to die. Yeah, so something that uh, I think Savage and I were talking about is just the – the summer feel of of Jaws. It's so great. It's it's really it does really put you in a time and place in that movie. Uh, some of the scenery. It it feels like they took over the whole town, and I'd be willing to bet they did. And um, all the extras are super on point, and then uh, and it's just uh, the music is really on point too. When you kind of actually, it's not even like the music. It's like the scenery, mu- the, the the sounds and scenery of those. Uh, just the kind of the bulk of the movie, the guts of the movie. It really kind of takes you there and it puts you in the place and when you're experiencing it with a bunch of your gods outside too that definitely definitely brings it together rounding out uh july 2020 also that that there's that shooting star that happens in the movie um behind uh, the chief and you see that shooting star and it's it's a good shooter and uh kind of spans like almost from from the the far right side of the screen all the way over not a special you know, effects folks yeah yeah not we did find out not a special effect and and actually shortly after that scene at chateau sauvage chateau sauvage they um they we actually saw a shooting star um it going in the similar tra- uh you know uh, uh trajectory, trajectory? As, as, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> where's conan um, if you don't got it, I got you. <laughs> right, right. Um, going into the similar tra- trajectory um, that we were able to see, I thought that was pretty, uh, that was pretty good and apropos. Hey, that's uh, always a sign of good luck, isn't that right, Doc? Yeah, always a sign of good luck. Also, uh, can we talk about that jump scene real quick? It's so good. Best jump I, scene in a movie, man. I jumped, I jumped back. I had my right hand on Mrs. Savage's waistline and my <laughs> left hand on, um, on Beware's kneecap. And uh, for that one, and it was uh, it, it, Doc. It uh, take us through it step by step. Like, why does that end up being so creepy? When guys, <laughs> kind of right after that, all the folks. Go Sorry, out I'm, I'm just get, I'm getting ready to dive. Sorry about that. Yep, yep. And so that, they go in. They they approach the boat that sunk, and then like all it is was giving the impression. Hooper's kind of getting ready to go dive underneath and check things out, and he's on there there, and it's pretty still, and he's checking out this. You see this tooth hanging in the um, the hole of this this bow of the ship, and like that's got your attention. And so you're going in, and he's getting that thing and checking it out, and you're totally focused on that. And then suddenly, without warning and any expectation at all, 
I had a plastic cup and it completely broke because I jumped <laughs> on it. it I mean, come on, that's that's epic. If you were break, if you're you're tossing the popcorn, that's almost yeah. too cliche. Beware, toss the popcorn. Beware, you had you had just sort of seen it recently, hadn't you? I totally forgot about that. And it's a movie it. that's meant it's meant to be seen on the big screen, screen I guess. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was that scene or another scene earlier in the movie, but Spielberg was t- in this documentary I was watching. Spielberg was saying he, when he was watching the premiere, watching the audience's reaction to the premiere, he knew those were scenes that the audiences were going to jump at. And at one of the scene, at one of those, somebody started walking out of this movie, and he's like, "Oh, great!" Like my first walk out or whatever. And they started running, and they got out of the door and threw up because of the scene was so. And I can't remember if it was that one or another one earlier, but he was savage like, oh, scene. Okay. Hey, they're running out with savage scenes. PG. In PG. PG. Yeah, I'm just my girl. My little girl just turned eight. We're watching it tomorrow. Let's see how she takes it. She doesn't swim, anyways. Maybe this will teach her to swim. So she there's a lot of like pictures. disembodied, disembodied. There's like the leg that sinks down, and and um, you know, a lot of blood like squirting up when the the first kid gets subtle hit. murder, but it, somehow sad. But then like yeah, the the jump, the jump is is an eyeless dead body, which is kind of like even like even more like scary. There's like, <laughs> like a gaping hole in his eye socket. Uh, it's like, God, why why I got the time to go first? I'm sorry when I get greedy about going first, but I don't want anybody to steal this piece of memorabilia from me. I have to get the anchor jacket. That is worn by uh, somebody. Somebody called for me, so I don't have to. The mayor. The mayor. Thank you. Uh, let alone shout out to our, you know, our, our second sponsor, Anchor, who's uh, host our podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling really good about them. They, you know, they help us upload this shit in like a matter of sometimes 15 minutes when it's ready. And I appreciate uh, Anchor as a service for podcasts. Uh, and I want that Anchor jacket to wear on our next guys trip. Who Who else has got a piece of memorabilia? I will take. Um... A few things, if I if I may. I don't think anybody's going to take these things. I'm going to take um, the family heirloom. I'll go with Butch's watch. You're the pretty kangaroo. greedy to take a few things, though. You've been t- you took the whole trailer park last uh, week, I think, and uh, I really wanted a Brady. I'm, I don't have a pit bull like you do. It's Shout Brandy, so you oh. don't even know you don't even know her name. So <laughs> I don't think you're very deserving of Brandy. I don't think you're gonna take good care of her. Um, I just want the watch, and I want the kangaroo that the watch uh, got left on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Fair. it. Uh, beware! You got a memorabilia item? Yeah, I like I like the pick. There's a painting in. Uh, and Mia Wallace's living room. It's a girl smoking a cigarette. It pretty much is supposed to be, it looks like her. It's kind of, uh, it's a girl sitting on a couch smoking a cigarette and Vincent Vega just stops and stares at it for a minute. And uh, that would be a nice piece to add to the living room here. Gold frame, dig it. We're, we're acquiring a lot of artwork. I love that. And uh, I know Doc has acquired property before. I think he might potentially have the second piece of property because he was digging that view from the ocean that uh, that our, our old boy um, Martin had, uh, Brody. Oh, my God. Uh, what uh, Beware was saying about that painting, that was actually intended to be a painting of Mia Wallace. Um, and who actually painted that in real life was one of um, Tarantino's buddies from the video store that he used to work at, who I think is part of his like design um, design coordinator or something. It was that his brother or something like that. So it was made for the movie of supposed to be Uma Thurman or Mia Wallace. 
Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think when we were watching this together, I jokingly said, you know, about the, the house, uh, Chief Brody's house on the island. And then I jokingly said Amity Island. Um, uh, but I, I think I'll go simple this time. And I think, um, I think that big shark tooth that in that jump scene that he pulls out of the boat, that size of a shot glass. Yep. Size of a shot glass. I think that's what I would want to take away from these movies. This is the time of the night where I like to go to doc for the awards because I have no idea. I love my movies. I have no idea who's going to win what. And I don't really even think about it until right now. And that's what I love. One of my favorite parts of the show. We're going to go to doc for the awards. Uh, Jaws, 1975, as we mentioned, this was uh, Spielberg's second film. This was John Williams as a composer. He had done a lot before this, but hadn't really got much into feature films before. Um, and so the, this movie was ended up being nominated four times, um, uh, and including Best Picture um, and uh, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music or Original Score interestingly that so and they took away three wins so they won three of the four nominations the three that they won were sound um and uh film editing you know kind of and then also the um the music original score some of the things that we talked about at the very beginning of like these were things that that spielberg had to eventually rely on to tell the story the film editing the sound and uh the audience agreed and, and again we all think that this is what makes jaw such a great movie took away those three awards what it didn't win though was uh best picture um which uh another movie won that during that year 1975-76 can anybody mm. guess what movie that was it's one that we've already reviewed Whoa. gotta be uh, one, one flew over one the flew Cooper's over, right? yeah, hey, yeah. And, hey i agree that might be the first time i agree with the academy yep. completely agree so yeah. moving over to pulp fiction um uh pulp fiction was nominated seven times uh including wow. best picture. yeah best picture best director best lead actor travolta best supporting actor sam jackson best supporting actress uma thurman best editing um and best writing screenplay I would think that Jules would have been the main character, not Travolta. I, kinda, I felt the but same I, thing. I would say, I would also say that, like, obviously Travolta's career, he was more famous. So maybe that's why, I guess. Doc's got he, you. He gets well, the lead. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. But actually, Travolta is actually in all the storylines. So he appears in all of those, like with the, you know, he's in the Butch storyline. He's obviously in the. Uh, You're right. Yeah, that's yep. that's. He's alone. Point. He's alone with Mrs. Wallace a lot of the yep. time too, and that's a big chunk of the movie. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Um, good point. Yeah. So um, this was again 1994. Um, they only won one of those, but oh. 1994 was. Hey, can we try to guess? We got to guess it. Yeah. This is a Travolta. Four was a crazy year. So they only won uh, writing screenplay. So um, Tarantino oh. took away that. But listen to this, guys. So best picture 1994. Uh, uh, I'll tell you who was in the category with them: Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump. So which one do you guys think took that one home? Oh, Shawshank. Soundtrack? Oh, no, actually, I'll go with Forrest Gump. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Forrest Gump, yep. Over um, Shawshank? Yeah, because yeah. IMDb oh. isn't a part of this. This is the Academy. They're doing yep. Forrest Gump. They love that. Forrest show. Gump won big this year. Uh, best director was Robert Zemeckis, Forrest Gump. Uh, best lead actor, Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Um, best supporting actor was Robert Landau from Ed Wood. 
Um, and uh, best editing went to Forrest Gump as well. So Gump basically was uh, taking it home. Well, you know, that's these period pieces, as we've said before, that they, the Academy loves that shit instead of originality. But hey, it doesn't matter. We're here discussing the 64 greatest movies of all time, and this is our thread, so we make our decisions. Uh, really, before we get into the vote, I want to hear that drinking song that I was very impressed by. A few of our members were singing from Jaws last night. Like, uh, I don't even know how you know that, but uh, I've always wanted, I've always like wanted to raise a glass while singing the same thing, but I can't say I know any songs like that. I know Had another drink about an hour ago. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dana, 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 Dana. It's time to see if uh, if the shark wins, or if um, you know, if we get our soul from the briefcase. I'll go. I'm taking the soul, man. What I see in the briefcase is one of Quentin Tarantino's best movies of all time. It's not an Oscar. I don't like the Academy. I don't care about that. I love that when he, I open that briefcase, I'm seeing, but I don't know it yet. I don't know it until the end of the whole series, folks. What is my favorite Quentin Tarantino film of all time? I can't say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now that I, I want to see them all, and I don't think we're done yet. We got another Quentin Tarantino film or two to go. Uh, it's my favorite DVD in there. It's Shining. Uh, it's shining for me and it's it's Pulp Fiction right now because that is uh, that's the greater movie but I don't know what my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is just because I have to put them all under that lens again Pulp Fiction for me Savage yeah I um, this one's not very difficult for me at all actually and I think it would have been not very difficult had it still been Birdman versus uh, Pulp Fiction it's Pulp Fiction um, with a bullet it's the, that's the movie cap as you smoke your red apple out on your front porch i'm not mad at you i could use one myself i was really surprised that uh jaws got the pg rating it's, uh, it's a terrifying movie especially for 1975 um the opening scene you've got this teenager with the you see you, you do see teenage side tit um i'd like to point that out i think this movie is about a a, a pedophile shark um you know he he forcibly shark. he's clearly you know it's it's implied but he's forcibly going down on this girl uh in the water and um it just creeps me out so uh, just just kidding Oh, Cap Cries Wolf, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and we get it every once in a while. Cap Cries Wolf. I will, I will say that I very much appreciated Jaws. And I, I did think it was a good um, mulligan. <clears throat> that being said, uh, I, can't, I can't ignore Pulp Fiction. It's a powerhouse movie. Um, you know, it's, it's the, maybe the first of its kind. It's really... Tarantino showing off his his filmmaking chops and I will cast my vote for Pulp Fiction. Well, I agree, but you don't know shit about chop. You do? You're a fucking expert on chop. Your I'm going to pass it to the doc before we pass it to Beware, <laughs> who uh, was the Mulligan uh, replacer. Doc, 
the doctor. Yeah, so, uh, all it is, I almost forgot you gave me a homework assignment. Oh, um, man, I forget. I appreciate that research. Doc, you know, I, I'm reading a book right now you gave me. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, I'm going to read this book. Um, and I'll tune back in with you. But uh, as soon as you tell me what this book is that John Travolta, um, Vince was uh, reading on the, the shitter, I'm going to go buy it right away. Yeah. So this book is uh, the first time we see it is when he's on the shitter in uh, Butch's apartment, but he actually gets it in the diner when he's at, goes to the bathroom um, earlier. And, uh, and so that's the scene where he comes out of the bathroom, he's holding the book and the gun, and then they leave holding the book. Um, and then that's the same book that he's reading. And uh, the book is actually called uh, Modesty Blaze. And it's by uh, Peter O'Donnell. It's a real book. Um, and it's about a female spy. And it's kind of similar. It's actually a, a, a pulp comic and um, or a pulp kind of story. Um, and uh, kind of racy action based story. And um, it is kind of similar to maybe the the, the storyline of like uh, Fox Force Five of uh, Mia Wallace, kind of what she was explaining. But yeah, it's it's a book that actually Quentin Tarantino loves and has tried to um, sign on to like make a movie about, or has like I think has like producing rights or something like that. But yeah, real book, um, Modesty Blaze. I will read it soon. Um, uh, I'm gonna just kind of echo a couple of what the guys said is, I, and I won't kind of dwell on um, my vote too long but I do want to say <clears throat> I appreciate Beware uh, putting Jaws in the mix man because I definitely think that this is a movie that belongs to be in our threads bracket I think it definitely made this a little bit more challenging I think I think I think Pulp Fiction is a powerhouse so going up against something like a Birdman it probably would have just been no contest at all um so having Jaws and being able to watch it with my guds on a, you know, Saturday night, Saturday summer night, last night of July, um, really made for an awesome movie watching experience. And, um, um, you know, a lot, I, I learned a lot about the movie, learned a lot about Steven Spielberg, learned a lot about just, you know, adversity and all that went into making that movie. But when it comes down to it, man, I mean, I just... Pulp Fiction, this is a phrase that we use on here, but it checks all the boxes, all the boxes. It checks boxes that I didn't even know I had, and it checks them. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. And although Jaws is what it is in the first summer blockbuster and you know has a lot of historical uh, underpinnings to it, a lot of great scenes, um, um, which actually another little research that I did, Will, you'll like this, the, the scene on the beach uh, where we talk about like, that was an awesome scene where they do that kind of zoom in on uh, Chief Brody. That was called a forward tracking zoom out. Um, and it's actually a shot now that's used, they refer to it as the Jaws shot in film school and stuff. And um, so kind of, a, again, a unique aspect that this movie kind of, you know, the fingerprint that it left on filmmaking, but I got to go Pulp Fiction. All right, Beware. Like you said, I, the mulligan was a very well played. Um, did it happen to be your favorite movie, Jaws, over Pulp Fiction? I'm very curious. Definitely not. I mean, who are we kidding? <laughs> I figured as much, but I, I thought maybe, maybe we'd have a four to one. They're both, they're both uh, classics. No, no question. They both uh, left, left their, left their mark on the industry and kind of changed the way movies are made. One of them is more of a, a classic, straightforward, linear movie. 
and it delivers you know it's as scary as hell it's definitely not pg and um it'll literally leave you jumping out of your seat but i mean compared to pulp fiction pulp fiction feels like it's a level up in movies in general it feels like while well, movies were definitely jumping around a little bit it feels like this is the first one that really brought that home and delivered that to the to the next level and i think that in and of itself kind of makes it um to me, the better movie, just because it's so, it feels so cutting edge and it still does, you know, but um, on top of the fact that it's cutting edge, like I said, it doesn't miss a beat every five minutes. You're just getting, you know, another one of your classic scenes, classic lines, classic characters. It's just such an A plus movie all around. The dialogue is probably some of the best dialogue in any movie ever. And I guess I got to save some points because we're going to definitely be seeing this one going on probably for a few rounds. So. I was just going to say, this could go to the final four, folks. You never know. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, special time of the night when uh, we go to the hat and uh, let's go to the hat. So. Let's go to the hat. Let's go to the hat. Let's go to the hat. Let's go to the Excuse me. Let's go to the Let's go to the Let's go to the I have one. I know there's some teenier ones and teeny. This one feels as long today. Um, I have no idea. Ooh, geez, don't spill. All right, you know what I do. I look and I see if I have it right side up. It is upside down, folks. Now it is not right side up. I turn around to the left. Okay, my thumbs on it. I haven't. I didn't get Arl Stein's last week for Pulp Fiction or Birdman, even though I really loved uh, Pulp Fiction. Let's see if I get some Arl Stein's tonight. Mm, they're definitely starting to happen. The first title got me going. Got me really nervous, man. You know something? I'm a little bit more scared of than a shark is a serial killer that has no fucking conscience is the baddest motherfucker you might have oh, ever God. seen in film. Shit. Does anybody want to guess what movie that is? No country. Silence of the Lambs. Nope. Oh my God. Shut up, Cap. Savage, you get it spot on. <laughs> I am never going to pick Silence <laughs> of the Lambs for that. Don't you talk to me like that, all it is. <laughs> it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Or, oh my God. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Once Upon a Time in No Country. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love you all so much. No Savage had it cars. right with No Country for Old Men versus Swingers. Um, oh, boy. This yeah. is going to be tricky, man. Swing. Swingers did a lot of things, but so did No Country for Old Men, dude. Coen Brothers, classic. Um, this wow. is the time of the night. I don't know. I mean, Call it. Call it. Call it. Do you want to? Call it. Does anybody want to do a mulligan? <sighs> Somebody should get swingers out of there because we don't have any other comedies in there. Ooh, I like this. So the yeah, mulligan, I, the people that have lost their mulligan can kind of persuade people. I, agree. I will disagree. I think Raising Arizona is a comedy, but. <sighs> yeah, yeah, you're Agreed. right. Agreed. Um, yeah. Savage, you still have your mulligan. Yeah, I'm going I'm to use it. Uh, Say the magic woo! word, baby. You invented I'm gonna it. I'm going to use my mulligan. Ooh, cue it. Mulligan. So I think. Um, I love Swingers a lot. I just I don't think it, it belongs in here. I, I'd rather see a closer 
Um, excellent. I watched it recently, and it's excellent, to be honest. I did, too. I did appreciate it. I think that it's it can get mulligan, though. I don't know. It's a great movie, no but um, I want to put The Fugitive in place, in place of that. I think that makes for a really good matchup, and, I, and yeah, I'll explain why in my 30 seconds. I think that um, uh, The Fugitive is one of those movies that uh, is such a kick-ass um, like who done it mixed with um you know the 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 chase the cat and mouse game um i, I think arguably that, harrison ford's greatest film also I, it's going to be a um a, a tommy lee jones slugfest um so i kind of want to bring both those movies against each other in a in a tommy lee jones off i don't know what the rest of the thread has to say my favorite either. favorite favorite movies i, I I kind of saw this coming at some point. Um, I will just go ahead and, and say yes. I think, uh, I think The Fugitive is an awesome, awesome movie, and I'm 100% in. What I'll say to that is I love how strategic Savage is. He thinks it out. He tries to f- uh, make the battle a little bit more fair, and um, – I trust you. I just wonder, I kind of just wonder if there is, you're going to, if you lose your mulligan, not much more greatness can be replaced with greater or greater. So I say, go ahead, let's do it. Fugitive. Haven't seen it in 10 years. Let's watch it. Beware. I liked Fugitive. I remember liking the Fugitive a lot when I was um, like 10, 11, 12 years old. And there's definitely uh, some star-studded performances in that, so I'm I'm not opposed to it. I think it's more of a ultimately my 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 thing is I think it's more of a fair matchup than swingers. Now, um, beware! Myself and Savage are no longer allowed to use their mulligan. Doc, um, do you feel like that we got a good thing going? That Savage is pretty strategic with this shit. Um, so swingers, I think, is like a quintessential movie of kind of our generation and i really i don't know i feel like it should be in a a bracket that we all talk about um i do agree though that it probably is more comedy i was thinking that like this bracket needs more harrison ford and i was thinking that i love a good uh, uh i think i like putting this as a tommy jones battle uh and I think, I don't know, I think, but I know The Fugitive has some great quotes and it's a great movie. Can't wait. It's actually a movie that uh, Sweet Amy has not seen. And we, don't ha- we don't have Harrison oh, Ford oh, wow. on the yeah, list. I know that for a fact because I tried to get her to watch it recently and we decided wow. to out. Awesome. Hey, we don't, have, we don't have Harrison Ford on the list though, do we? This is his only movie. We don't have Harrison Ford on the list. I think this is his only movie. Yeah, we don't have, we don't have Blade Runner on, so yeah. Mm. ladies and gentlemen uh, another sweep we have a sweep for a mulligan that means we're on the same page with replacing great with greater and we're here to find the greatest folks so next week episode 12 we have no country for (laughs) old men with a mulligan replacement by savage the fugitive that has replaced swingers farewell swingers ladies and gentlemen there is two more mulligans left Doc and Cap, correct? Correct. I still got mine.
All right, babies. Well, I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm excited about that. But Savage, I, I really, I approve this message brought to you by Savage and homework's, homework time's in. I'm watching uh, Fugitive first. I'm going to have, you know, I want to, I haven't seen it in a long time and I'm excited to watch it. No Country for Old Men, I've seen a bunch of times and I'm, I'm rooting for Fugitive for whatever reason. Yeah, I was just thinking you brought up mulligans and um, oh you, shit, you said Cap and I got ours left. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to go that route. But um, because honestly, I've got some Oof. in front of me right now, and uh, I don't know if I'm if, I don't know if I'm crazy about my mulligan list. And so I don't know all it is. I might I might be interested to hear what our listeners think. Might be what would they put, propose as a mulligan. Uh, and maybe if, if our listeners are out there, if you can throw our email out there, maybe if they can send in some potential mulligan options, because I'm looking at my list. I got a couple. I'm, I know Cap's probably got a good couple, couple examples, but it might be cool to hear from our viewers, our listeners, if they have some good suggestions, too. So, ladies and gentlemen, you basically have the chance to replace our doctor, our docs, mulligan vote. If you just send a simple email to four, the number four, our favorite number, four, our thread podcast at gmail.com, what movie would you replace? Doc's going to put it on his list. He just told you he would. Send an email out to number four, our thread podcast at gmail.com and replace Doc's Mulligan. I love that. We'd call that like our first lifeline. I remember in episode zero, zero, we were talking about lifelines and we haven't had any yet. What else the information you think they might need? So just um, check out episode zero, ladies and gentlemen. That'll tell you the whole, we read the whole bracket. Um, it's still there. And then, hey, just follow episode one through 10 to 11 and you'll figure it out, folks. I know you're here with us. Welcome to our thread. Um, we're going to see you next week for episode 12. No Country for Old Men verse The Fugitive. Good morning. Morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Well... It's very, uh, homey. What are you kidding? We got us a family here. I hope you realize how you affect my feelings. Also, I'm a bridge that's too dark now. Let's play. Just take it easy, man. I'm from the family. Yeah, waving the fucking gun around? Look, I made a mistake, all right? It didn't make any difference anyway. Hey, I'm letting it go. But don't say it doesn't matter. Every line matters. Get off my back! Who the fuck is my plan? And like that, it's gone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Thread Podcast. Bringing our content to you. Featuring all it is. It's official, old buddy. Who has been. Beware. From then on, he was known as Benny the Jet. Rodriguez. The Doc. You're the Doc, Doc. The Pat. Oh, if, 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 you, if, you, if you already know the answers to your questions, then why ask? Pig fuck! And myself, Savage. I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of them.